Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 73 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Uh, First of all, I want to thank all of you that have reached out or posted about or showed support to the Ninja Army and the MFF team about the loss of Landon Jones. It it means a lot to us. It's been a... uh, a rough week, a, a lot to process, and it's appreciated. So thank you for taking the time about that. And similarly to Brian Patrick Murphy and Michael Littig, Harold Gibbons is also another part of the team and somebody that was scheduled to be on the show uh, before we heard this news. Um, this was recorded after the news of Landon's passing, but I, I think it's fitting that we have uh, at least a couple of weeks of me talking to the MFF family, the team there. So Harold Gibbons is somebody that one of the greatest experiences I have at MFF was co-writing or taking turns, alternating, designing all the classes with them or the majority of the classes with them. So I'm excited for you to hear from him. Here's some things that are going on on the business front, though. We don't get into social media on this one, but listeners, if you've been listening, you know I'm trying to adjust my social media practices and business practices a little bit around that. Hey, I've been redoing the website, coachfury.com. There's a lot more stuff going on there. Uh, It's a little easier to navigate. So check that out, CoachFury.com. On Facebook, if you want to follow the podcast, check out Facebook.com slash CoachFuryPodcast. If you want to find out my fitnessy stuff, check out Facebook.com slash CoachFury. The other account I'm going to be using pretty much for personal stuff. So if we're friends, that's awesome. But if you want to see the fitness stuff, I'm not really sharing it there anymore. I'm I'm cutting that cord. So Facebook.com slash CoachFury. Instagram's kind of a combo of it all, so don't stress about that one. But uh, head on over to there. Uh, let's talk about a couple of workshops that are coming up. Big thanks to Larry Betts with the uh, Under Renovations Brooklyn Athletic Club for hosting the DVRT workshop yesterday. We had a great time. It's always awesome seeing some uh, eyebrows raise as they start to people start to see and think of things differently, which is the DVRT system. It's not just about an ultimate sandbag. Uh, and man, it wrapped up three courses in four weeks for me. So I'm excited to have a little bit of a break. So the RKC in the beginning of March sold out. We added some spots, sold those out. So the next thing I have up scheduled is actually Sunday, June 9th, original strength pressing reset returns to MFF Bowery. The last one sold out. Get in on this one. Then June 15th, the following Saturday, we're coming back out to the new and improved MSE Strength in Norwell, Massachusetts. Tina, thanks for having us. Uh, So original strength is hitting Massachusetts again. That's June 15th. Then we have the HKC Kettlebell Certification at MFF Bowery on Sunday, August 18th. Original strength pressing reset at ACWA Tulsa in Oklahoma. That's September 7th, and the following day on the 8th, we're going to do a DVRT workshop there, so come out for those if you're in the area. RKC Kettlebell Certification, back at Catalyst, super excited about this, Saturday, October 26th through the 27th, and right now, that's what I got lined up. Um, If you're interested in hosting, give me a holler, shoot me an email, coachfury at gmail.com. If you've been a fan of the show, do me a favor, please hit up a rating it's if, uh, if you're on the podcast app, scroll to the bottom and you'll be able to rate the show and by all means subscribe. Uh, but first and foremost, just thanks for being a part of this. This podcast is, you know, you'll hear the sort of what I get a lot out of it. And you'll hear that in this episode with Harold. We talk about that a bit. So thanks for listening. Episode 73, Harold Gibbons, the steward of strength. And I.
Well, hey, man, thank you for coming on the show. I mean, we've been talking a little bit back and forth basically since the beginning of the show, making this finally happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think it's both good timing and, and it was a little, you know, I don't know if it's unfortunate would be the word, obviously. Um, so listeners, um, you know, uh, the MFF family took a big hit last week um, when we lost our brother Landon Jones um, in, in an accident where Landon was helping a uh, passerby. And, you know, I don't want to um, go too deep down the rabbit hole because I might lose my shit a little bit about it. And I don't want to like, you know, try to get you in that zone either. But okay. I do want to say uh, thank you to everyone that reached out to me and I'm sure to Harold, but it was also oh, yeah. nice just to see all the stories and all the support of Landon and Schwa and, and even the person that Landon was helping. Um, but also there were a lot of mentions of just like, you know, thinking of the team and uh you know and i think that shows like what a what a family we are so uh thank you for all of that um if we can honor landon for a moment what would be like a, a one solid landon mo memory you have for me mm -hmm. oh gosh there's there's so many I, I posted something on my social media about i saw landon in uh in central park probably at the I, end of the summer i saw that picture <laughs> and i was riding my bike because it's a great place to ride your bike. And then I was going for a walk because as I learned, it's a great place to go for a walk. And I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, I'm walking in Central Park. I was like, why? <laughs> he sort of looked, looked at me like it was the dumbest question ever. And knowing, knowing Landon, it was from such a place of love. But he was sort of at this point where he was like, this is Central Park. We get a chance to walk here. Like we get a chance <laughs> to appreciate this immense beauty. Um, and that was like, that was the thing that was like sort of always Lennon's MO. It's like, how do we appreciate beauty around us wherever we are? Yeah. The trees in Central Park, if it's like a disco ball in the dragon lair, like he was all about it. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of, uh, on the positive side, because I was, I was, I, I went in that mode of thinking of all the time I haven't had the chance to spend with them because right. Landon, Landon and I didn't hang out much, but we were morning crew my first two years i was like heavy morning crew and it was a lot of time with landon liz messina stacy right. jackson and, and steph in the beginning times and uh you know landon for those a bunch of people wrote about this though like would eat sardines and out of <laughs> can and uh like whole things of spinach out of like one of those plastic containers yeah the, the part that i'm actually really grateful for and it, at the time it pissed me off a little bit there was a moment where like landon like snapped at me and you know like everyone's talking about how like you know smiley and, and and you know never whatever and i was like you know i actually was like glad that i got to see like the moment when like oh no landon was actually like this did something and you know that i did and it was small right. that's why i remember it being like frustrated i think it was actually just like talking about a, an mff rule actually as like more rules were coming into place and he just snapped for a moment and he was like you know apologetic about it but it was just like oh like i'm kind of grateful i got to see like a rounded picture of him a little bit even in that small way Right. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, it's been very weird being disconnected. I've been trying to stop by the house and then part of me has been, my schedule has been busy, meaning MFF. And then uh, yeah. uh, part of me is just like, I, I feel really fucking weird and awkward about doing it. And I know I probably oh, shouldn't, totally. but uh, I don't know. That's where I, I don't know how to handle these things very well. But, yeah, uh, uh, but I am grateful that uh, we actually had this schedule scheduled before this happened. Um, and then as we were getting ready to hop on the phone, I was actually getting excited about the shit that we were going to talk about before any of this stuff happened. Yeah. Uh, 
But listeners, I, I will say this. I'm going to post a link to the GoFundMe pages uh, of Landon and the gentleman that he was helping because the gentleman he was helping had four kids. Um, and, you know, like Landon was helping them, but they were both tragically lost. This wasn't any, anybody's fault. So yeah. uh, they're going to be in the show notes. If you want to donate some money, please do for both. And they'll be in the show notes. Um, but again, thank you for just reaching out for everybody and for the team. I know it's, it's meant a lot to us. Um, on to other stuff. How are you doing, man? Like, I, we haven't worked together in forever. I know. It feels, it's so funny because it feels like it was yesterday because I still have daily conversations about these things that you've taught and that you've shared with the Ninja <laughs> Army. And so, like, my time dilation, Fury, I am, my time dilation is so bad. I, if I checked my body, the software you use, I'm pretty sure I'd be, like, very surprised at how long ago it was. But Dude, it, it really does feel it for me like it was yesterday. I think next month, so it's February 1st when we're talking, next month, March, is two years since I was staffed there. How fucking crazy is that? That's fucking nuts. There was the two years, and then there was that little bit last year. The year, right. or, 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 Yeah, last year, like November through January, where I pitched in for a little bit. Yeah. And then there was a little talk, like if I could fit in a class or not, when, they, when, when everyone was trying to sort out with uh, you know, Brian and Michael leaving. Right. Uh, last last week's guest on the show and uh, uh but my schedule's like filled up because i left in that part-time stuff at the end of last year ended up yeah. turning into my class program here so it's been a while that's amazing and i never get to go to any of the rap parties because i'm either working or with the family and i'm always <laughs> yeah. bummed out we just i'll actually i'll send you the like everything for the year because we just got we just got our schedule for the year um oh. There's some good stuff. I know, I don't know that the next one, there's one coming up in February. The one after that is on April 20th. It's on 420. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, people are going to have fun with that. <laughs> so, and then there's like, there's two more over the course of 2019. Uh, listeners, I haven't even uh, properly introduced the guests because I, I always feel weird <laughs> like saying hi. So, hey, you're, you're talking to uh, Harold Gibbons, the steward of strength um, from Mark Fisher Fitness. Uh, do you have another title, like not a nickname title? Because I feel like you do a ton there. Yeah, um, I, I did a ton here. My like title last year was director of education. Okay. Um, I, I was writing the schedule. I was writing the, uh, the class design. I was overseeing class design for all of our classes for like the 700-ish, air quoting, 700-ish ninjas. Uh, I oversee program design for like the 200-ish ninjas who are doing uh, semi-private programming and then run the trainer and residence program, which is sort of an internship, but more of like an apprenticeship to like really help people who are already skilled coaches up-level their skills even more. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of like stepping away from some things. Our new fitness director is here, which is fantastic. She's writing the schedule now. Well, that, that's, uh, that's Jen Bullock, formerly Jen Frankel. Yeah. And it, yeah. like, Jen is the one who actually introduced me to Mark Fisher Fitness. If it wasn't really? her and Adrian, um, I, they, they started training with me for a kettlebell cert. And if it wasn't for them training with me and, and, and Jen in particular is like, you would love Mark. You got to meet him. Um, but Jen and Adrian were big supporters. I'd never heard of the place. That's, so That's right. how it all started. That's so cool. I don't think I knew that. Like, yeah. a connector. That's great. Yeah. Jen's back. She was one of our trainers like seven years ago. She's back. Which is great. Um, I've got, we're, we're pausing the training residence program because we've had so many staff switched around recently that we wanted to have like some consistent people for like a long time. So like BPM and Laura just uh, BPM and Liddig just left for Zuckerberg Institute. Laura is having her baby. Honestly, I think in the next two hours. 
<laughs> is she she's not at the hospital, is she? She's literally at the hospital right now. Oh no shit, Laura, congrats. Yeah. I know. So we've, we've got we've got our three new three new part-time trainers who are here. They'll be around for a while, which is pretty great. Um, and this morning I just I just dropped my wife off at the airport to go to uh, Nairobi and to be in Kenya for for three months. So I got some time on my hands now. Dude, that's so crazy. I was gonna ask, I actually was like when you, when I was like checking in if you were good for today and I was going to be completely okay and understanding with the thing, but like I realized yeah. that we both had like, you know, landing on our brains and have been dealing with uh -huh. that. But also that I was like, holy shit, today's the day that Katie's leaving. Um, yeah. So how quickly will it be before you masturbate in an empty apartment by the time you get home? Like how many minutes uh, do you think that'll be? I think I get, I'll get home around like 930. So like four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, I really, I have, I have scheduled a lot of stuff to keep me like busy and occupied in the next few weeks. And then my schedule will calm down a little bit after that. That's good. Like, that, that's a yeah. uh, good. And, and, and Katie's like, congrats, Katie, by the way, I haven't seen Katie. I haven't seen anybody in a while. Um, it's weird. Things have gotten like randomly, like I had a bunch of work travel at the end of last year, like October yeah. through December. And then things have just been picking up. In a, in a really okay. good way over here. And I, I haven't done much of anything other than see some movies with Kim and the kids. And that's great. That's really kind of it. Um, but congrats, man. So I'm actually kind of glad like you, you shed some of those extra stuff in a way because oh, yeah, it's good. I never understood how you covered as much as you did. And like, even, even, you know, so folks, one of the things that we're excited to talk about today is, unexpectedly like I didn't think I'd get to be writing classes at MFF but yeah a long time for like three years Caroline yeah. basically wrote co-wrote all of the classes with the occasional guest guest team member writing but it was really a trade-off every month between Harold yeah. and I and I, I do want to talk about that process but in in on top of that you had started you know the the tier program um which we can talk about a little bit on that and then uh, yeah. just just the semi-private training, the app, you were sort of in charge of the app. Yeah. And we all know, uh, uh, like the schedule, like at any gym, but especially at MFF, it seems, is a fucking nightmare. And just, <laughs> just to have that alone. Yeah. It's like, I was actually looking at the job, like when the jobs came out about like the roles that were being formed, and I was like, oh, I wonder if maybe, and then I was like, schedule, nope. <laughs> like, no, not I'm not going to talk to anybody about that. Yeah. Um, how did you find it? Because the other magic trick that you did is you always managed to train too, yeah, and do I mean, your own shit. You're riding, so like talk about let, let's let's back off of fitness for a moment. Talk about what's your what's your joy that you do the the most outside of lifting weights. Um, I mean, I like I I really do. I think one of the hard things for me in the next few months is going to be like just not being able to spend literally every day with my wife because she Katie worked here so. That's going to be like the biggest immediate change for me. Um, but even when, what, a lot of the like the administrative stuff that I was doing, I loved the like, I love the educator side of it. I love the facilitator side of it. Doing the logistical side of it was neither my strong suit or particularly my passion, but I sort of always focus on, hey, how do I bring the team together? How do I bring quality information or quality creation to this community? And so for me, being able to step away from the administrative stuff and being being able to like get into the dragon lair 
a little bit calmer and just really be able to show up for every single person that I'm coaching is truly the best part of my, my day that is not spending time with my wife. Um, and so I'm really excited about that, that like I get to, I get to show up into these, I'm like slowly unwinding as like Jen learns her stuff and as, as I make sure that everything's like sort of like good. But I'm really excited to be able to like show up to all my sessions and just like crush it with the people who are in, really passionate about getting better. Um, and then I really do love sharing uh, the information that, that I so strongly believe in using an MFF with everybody because we all have bodies and not everybody can afford to get one-on-one -on -one training or semi-private training or class training. And as, as much as I believe in what we're doing, I understand that fitness is expensive. It's so expensive for so many people. So if it's Instagram or blog posts, I'm really trying to figure out ways to be uh, as, as passionate as possible about democratizing fitness so that more people can have access to the information that best allows them to take care of themselves. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I'll say this is one of the things that uh, I love about you and about the time we got to work together is just, I've seen a lot of just growth from you. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, one of the things that Harold and I had in common, other than you're part of the Long Island crew of guests that have been on this show, <laughs> Harold didn't, and I didn't know each other prior to MFF, but he only run like two, two towns over in Farmingdale, yeah. the town guy. Um, is, you know, you were real young, but you were also, and I say that as like an old guy, <laughs> like you were young and I was an old guy, but like you, myself, Wheels and Liz, I think were the only four and mine is Kyle and Mark that were actually training people prior. Like this was right. a career going in as opposed to right. a switch. And I've just seen you really grow. You always were super fucking smart, but I think oh, the way you handle communication and disseminating yeah. that information I've yeah. seen you grow, even within the context of the team, you know, I've just oh, seen you grow and handle that. And I've heard you admit that too. Like, I think all of us, oh, yeah. when we're not coming from that theater world to some degree or acting background where they might be more innately in touch with their emotions in a way. Right. Um, I think for us from the outside, when we come in, that takes a little bit to adjust to. And yeah. you know, I know it's had an impact on me and, I, and it was, but I don't know if that was visible in my time there, but I can say it's like your friend. I, I oh. saw it. For sure. And it's funny because I saw the same thing in you. I mean, for I think for both of us getting into MFS, we were sort of like uh, immersed in this petri dish of emotional intelligence that, to be completely honest, is so much more than I ever experienced in my life before being a part of this team. Yeah, anywhere. I've never... Yeah. I've always been like a sensitive, I would deem myself as an open-minded, sensitive guy too, but I, I was never, I was not prepared or expecting to have my right. eyes open that way. Yeah, and, and for me to to really be able to communicate effectively about emotions the way that our team consistently does here, it took me a while. I, I mean, I'm still learning about it. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how do we best communicate it. Because I think for, for me, it's never about, like I don't, I'm not tied to what I want to say. I'm, I'm tied to making sure that somebody understands it in the way that I meant it to be understood. And so for me, the hard work is, is basically that guessing game of like, I, I want to trust my message more than I trust my words. And so if I can figure out how to disseminate information in a way that gets the desired outcome, not at all in a manipulative way, usually in a, in a be beneficial altruistic way, I'm like, great, what do I need to say to get that outcome to happen? 
Uh, and mostly that's like queuing, but sometimes it's like program design and sometimes it's like systems for the team. Yeah, it's tricky. And, and you know, one of the big things that comes up here and it's, it's, it's super popular in talking about fitness within our sort of, uh, when I talk about super popular fitness, I'm also going to draw this dividing line between what the world thinks is popular about fitness and what we think is popular. Like our, our, our group of studios and people that we look up to are not necessarily what the outside world views as fitness for better or worse. Right. Yeah. But in terms of like this progressive, really educated, caring, trying to get better shops, which there are tons of us, but you know, it's not necessarily what everybody's always thinking about when they think of like change-ins and shit, but is right. the ability to have those like uh, accept a growth, you know, accept criticism, you know, supportive criticism and be able to handle those crucial conversations and, yeah. you know, I, I know one of the things I was thinking about in, in talking with you today is I remember when you actually introduced the tier program, it was kind of brutal because you were in a rush situation. Do you remember that? Yeah. And we, everyone was kind of pissed. And that was one of those standout times. I'm like, I'm just going to hit up Harold. Like, let's have a chat and we're going to talk yeah. about it. Um, and it was basically, folks, like it was like Harold was put in a bad spot to launch something very quickly. Um, it's no finger pointing, but it just was like kind of hit us all really hard. Yeah. And, you know, I emailed Harold and, and instead of like anybody complaining or bitching about behind the scenes, like we just had a conversation and it was super useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what most people have to do. And I know like I ended up in a situation. So I, I was eventually class design manager um, for my last, I don't know, like seven, eight months there. Yeah. And basically, I mean, it was really you and I, but like Harold just had so many other things. I'm like, I'll, I'll take ownership on this as more people want to guess. And like, I just did what I thought was being a very direct and good job with, with another one of the team. And apparently I was shit in the bed and I had to have a real awkward talk, you know, even with Mark about it. And, uh, you know, but it was like a growth moment that like, you know, trying to, when you talk about like trying to get through the team, like how do you communicate on like a classroom, like on a right. bigger scale? And then how do you hit those individual personalities? Um, that's a tricky thing, man. And I think you, I've definitely seen you grow from that. And I think I've tried and I'll admit this podcast has actually oddly been helping me a lot because I'm forced to be, listen, dude, this podcast has literally changed how I view people, how I talk, how I listen, how I, how I coach. Wait, is it super meta if I ask you about that? Like tell me more Yeah, please go for it. What, how does it, how does it change? How you, how do you view people? Well, you know, like these are all just conversations. So like, you know, you and I have had some conversations, but you know, if we chat for like an hour plus today, we haven't had many just you and I sitting down chatting. Um, So it allows me to, I'm again, folks, uh, listeners, I'm trying to get better at this with every episode, but I'm put in a position of listening. So we talked about it in terms of, you know, listening to the ninjas, but I'm not doing it in a way that I'm trying to like validate a customer service experience or something like, I'm just trying to listen and learn. So I'm able to come at this right with no agenda like you and i talked like there's folks anybody nobody gets like a, a list like harold and i were like we'll talk about programming because that's what we did together yeah but on, on any of these there's never more than that idea and then wherever the conversation goes it goes and so it allows me to listen because i don't know what turn it might take um right people have like had different ideas than me and it like allows me to like take a step back think about it absorb those opinions and sometimes in just going back and forth over those things, it just changes my opinion or evolves it or solidifies it. And it's been very interesting. So when I'm teaching a course now, when I have like, you know, again, talking about like multiple personalities in a room, some people might know me, most people don't. Um, you do start to see a lot of similarities in a group. Like there's that person, that person. Um, yeah. But being able to adapt 
to hear and, and, and like actually communicate something back that they might be questioning or not understanding or actually being uh, creating some conflict about, like it helps me kind of discuss it and put an end to it rather quickly or support it and to it. Sounds awesome. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so it just lets me process my uh, like free fluid processing my thoughts that a lot of us can get pretty set in our ways. Yeah. Right. It's like yeah, being, a, totally you know, good. being somebody that loves to like, you know, if I was a power lifter and being so like everyone should back squat bench and power lift or being a kettlebell guy where everybody should do get ups and swings. It lets yeah. me know that like, well, maybe not for everybody, you know, right. maybe I shouldn't at least come at the conversation that way. Totally. So that's it's been so, the, go ahead. Go ahead. It's so funny. Cause I, I think about that, like just in training in general, um, like I, I just turned 30 last year, right? I'm, I'm about to turn 31 in like a week. And I think about the things that I've been the most passionate about. It's like on the, on a long enough timeline, it's like never the thing that I'm currently passionate about. And I remember like, I always try to check my biases, right? I went from, from being passionate about powerlifting like six years ago and being like, yes, we all need to get strong and which I still agree with. And I now am passionate about mountain biking and I, think we all need some cardiovascular fitness I still agree with but I really try not to get drawn towards the like the barbell warriors who are like everyone needs to lift barbells for the big five or the like the cardiovascular junkies who are like everyone needs to do like RA monitor based training for everything for like 10 hours a week like it's too much and so at least at MSF if I'm thinking about our experience programming together I feel like we were always able to take different strategies and different modalities. To be fair, some of which you literally teach as like part of your career is teaching people how to use these implements, but we were always able to come back and figure out how do we combine those particular philosophies and this specific equipment to make sure that the cohesive experience is a lot, is a lot more uh, robust than only limiting yourself to one style of thinking. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's one of the things that I've, I've seen you do in programming. You're like, yeah, like I will literally teach people how to be kettlebell instructors, but we're not only using kettlebells and you'll teach people how to use uh, like original strength or how to use the, the, the ultimate sandbag, but it's not just using the sandbag or doing some crawling patterns or doing some swings, it's all of those together. And that gets you like that full complete picture. Right. Yeah. I think it's like uh, taking a point where you have your bias, the stuff you love, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, some people get caught up too, like, you know, the dogma of a system that you might love. I mean, clearly, like, you know, if we go to hard style kettlebell world or some like, you know, breathing modalities and stuff, there's just like heavy dogma. Like it's, this is the way and right. no other way. Right. And yeah. for me, I think that I'm very lucky aside from, you know, ending up as a member at five points, to be, you know, which led me to become a trainer, which was unexpected. I think the fact that I found kettlebells and that my friend Gavin introduced me to DVRT to Hankins work. I was never so just a kettlebell guy, although a lot of people viewed me as like, I already had this other side of like following along what Josh did. And I was doing like TRX and getting into all this other odd object type stuff. So in, in my assisting and learning stuff, I just, the repeated exposure to hard style kettlebells and to Josh Hankins stuff. And then later to original strength and, you know, Indian clubs assisting, it was never so much about, well, like, how can I be super dogmatic about kettlebells if I'm doing this other stuff? How can I be super dogmatic about just using, you know, DVRT if I'm doing these other things or OS? 
but what it does is it provided me with a, a philosophy, right? Like it, yeah. it, it comes into a greater training philosophy of no matter what I have to work with. Right. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. Like I think one of the great things that caught me off guard and was, was new for me to adapt to at MFF was like in semi-private training, you know, you think of like a kettlebell gym. So our classes in a, in a way you could simplify it down and say, we're like a kettlebell and body weight class. Yeah. Right? If you just dumb it down to what it is, which isn't what it is, but if you just look from the outside, <laughs> kettlebells and body weight, right? It's actually probably, yeah. you know, one of the most intelligently programmed classes anywhere. But it's, you know, you can look at it and be like, okay, they use kettlebells and bands and body weight. Right. And then you would think that would translate into the dragon layer into being like, okay, it's going to be like, you know, kettlebells and barbells. But, you know, the use of the cable machine and the use of step ups and the use of mm -hmm. bands and the use of breathing drills and mobility, you know, like it's just so deep. But the philosophy yeah. is still the same. We all have, you know, like, you know, you know, a slight bias towards one or the other. Um, right. And I think you and I also are both aware that as long as someone's not hurting, there are so many different ways you can go safely to get somebody where they are. Yeah. Like if you only said like, okay, kettlebells are it. And we had like a clone of the same three people. You can go train that person in kettlebells for six months. I can go say, I just use the sandbag, which isn't really what DVRT is about, but right. you know, I can go do that for six months and somebody can just do barbell. You know what? In six months are all going to have some pretty killer results as long as they were coached well. Exactly. But it's the long-term thing. And, you know, does that allow you being so locked into it? Does it allow you to meet each person where they kind of need to be? If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And I, and I feel, I don't know if I've actually thought about this idea. So it might be like a little bit cumbersome, but I, I sort of, when I think through movement strategies and movement philosophies, I feel like most coaches, most young coaches who are new to the fitness industry have a lot more movement strategies and they have movement philosophies mm -hmm. where they've got all of these tools in their toolbox and they have no fucking idea how to use them, which is like, I'm imagining like a five-year-old running around Home Depot. You're like, I can... I can use the hammer, I can use the drill, I can use the saw, but like you don't actually know what they're for. You just like think toys are cool. And then our role as coaches, if I'm thinking about coaches being somebody who's a little bit different than like a personal trainer, my goal is to figure out how I can help you navigate the aisles of Home Depot, how I can help you navigate how to use this specific piece of equipment, when you're going to use it, and know how to prioritize them so that when you're with me, we can get the best results possible. But then when you're not with me, you can still get the best results possible. And my presence is not the limiting factor in your success. Yeah. It, and, and some of that just comes with like experience. You right. know, I think I was, I think I was lucky at the start, you know, I started by teaching classes and they weren't programmed. Like they were free, free for alls in a way where we never knew who was coming in and how many people and, and, and skill levels there was no onboarding. So, you know, I'd have an idea of what I wanted to do. And I had sort of my base rock steps um, of like how I would sort of assess through the movements, you know, like right. about class, we'd always sort of start with like a deadlift, a squat, a plank. And then I could see where they're, you know, where I'm going to have to adjust for everybody or for specific people. And uh, I think that helped a lot. And then in my programming, you know, with kettlebells, I will say like, if you go through an RKC or an SFG and you have your, your big six plus pushups, like you got a pretty well-rounded, safety net to practice in right. as long as you can coach right. up the movements right yeah. um so i think that helped and then it was just like you know the years now of experience putting it all together uh i will say for me i think i lucked out and i don't know why that i don't I, I don't know if i can back up all the science behind my program but i have a very i would say intuitive simplistic approach to it 
that yeah. just kind of comes pretty naturally to me, you know, like right. here's your goal. This is what we have access to. And this is how much time. And this is where you're coming into this program at with physical capability or injuries or health or whatever. And having the patience to not try to add flair to that. And just here's a simple program that I know is going to work now. Yeah. The next step, like if we go into our dragon layer and semi-private progressions, most people start out around the same place and progress to the same place minus an injury or a mobility issue. Exactly. Yeah. But people want to overcomplicate the shit out of that and try to like make, you know, 95 different programs for five people within the first three months to sort yeah. of feel like they're serving them better or keep them entertained. Right. I mean, that's, that's sort of where, where I am personally and where we are at MFF where we it's funny in two weeks we'll review the functional movement screen again uh we're, we're we that's been like our end of the year into 2019 rather um team education focus and i'm really excited that we're doing it because it's helping us clarify our 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 eye as coaches we can see movement with more refinement because we're all looking at the same thing using these specific metrics of the screen and i'm still not sure that we're going to use it because I trust that once we see the thing, I can use my language to really coach up your movement, usually to the point where I can get you at least to like passing movement quality. And if I can't get you there with my words, then I'll break up one of my corrective patterns or one of my constructive patterns. And I'll find a more appropriate exercise for you. But I know it's really, really important in a lot of populations. I don't think it's bad at all. But for our population, a two hour joint by joint assessment is not going to have the outcome that we want because the outcome that we want is people who are excited to show up and work out. Yeah. And for, for me, the, I've been thinking about this idea recently of the, of the fitness industrial complex and the functional training side of the fitness industrial complex basically has learned that you screen somebody, you show them everything that's wrong with them. And then you show them your skills in fixing this problem. And if they, if they like buy that they're fucked up, then like you're golden. But if they're like, Hey, I don't care about my FMS score, I don't care about my ability to touch my toes. I don't care about my VO2 max. Like the exercise physiology based sales tactics don't do anything to account for the psychology of why people are going to the gym in the first place. Mm -hmm. So for me, like, Hey, I think that my toolbox is big enough that I can find an option for you that you are enjoying enough to come back and do it again or to be able to do it on your own if you're not working out with me at MFF. Now, have you guys evolved? Like, so when I started, we were doing basically a straight up consultation with an FMS screen. Yeah. And then we started to modify and simplify. Um, and then we sort of had gotten rid of a screen. Are you guys doing a, a screen still or is it sort of happening in those early sessions? It's, it's basically like on the fly movement analysis. Mm -hmm. um, they, people will come in and ninjas will start with their They'll do their health and hotness strategy session that has nothing about, because there's nothing physical on it at all. Um, they basically get a tour, we introduce them to the community. Um, and then when they do their ninja baptism, we'll talk through any limitations that they might have. But we'll still sort of coach up the big, the big lifts and provide modifications when necessary. So let's say somebody comes in and they're like knee pain, hip pain, like limited mobility somewhere. We'll offer in their Ninja baptism, which is what we call that, that first workout, we'll offer them some alternatives. We'll communicate with the team any things that need to be majorly changed. Uh, 
and then sort of from there we try to coach them up the entire time and then we sort of we allow the quality of movement to build while they're exercising rather than focusing on quality of movement before they're exercising mm-hmm. um, I think that like the the great cook quote that I absolutely adore is move well then move often um, and I think that it's probably more likely in a fitness setting to be move well while figuring out how to move often while figuring out how to move well and it just mm-hmm. continues on that track of like how do we move as beautifully as possible and still create a training effect yeah i i agree with that i, I know that for me if in one-on-one one in one-on-one world personal training world mm-hmm. i'll take usually people unless they're coming in like already as an instructor like that I, I get a bunch of those people you know prepping for a cert or whatever but like for the gen pop people, I'll take them through, you know, basically an OS screen, which is just a warm up slash resets. And, you know, I let them pick like, you know, in the OSA would be like, you know, pick a, a you know, bird dog or a toe touch or a squat. For me, I tell a lot of people like, how's your toe touch? And, yeah. you know, I don't judge whether it's good or bad. You know, some people come in and like, oh, I can't reach at all. And then I go through like, you know, a little bit of these warm up drills with a very simple explanation. And then we retry the toe touch. And there's always an improvement. Right. And then so instead of being like, hey, you, could, you can't do this, it's coming off as, oh, my gosh, I really can do this. And right. that's not a bash or anti-FMS at all. But in terms of going oh, totally. complex screen, I just don't love the idea. And this is just me being potentially post-MFF hypersensitive. Thanks, MFF, for making me a softie on this. Like, you know, uh, I'm okay telling people that, like, this is a hard line. No, like, you're, you're not safe to do this thing. But it's also, right. like, I don't want to start out the gate by potentially putting them through things that they're just going to, like, uh, you know, most, you know, the thing that I keep thinking about is, like, no one starts training at a gym because they're happy. Like, no one right. does. Right. Like there's always so like, so true. Let, let me just, um, or, or, or not happy. I should say, cause they feel great about themselves. No one's like, I feel fucking awesome. I'm going to go to the gym to feel more awesome. Everyone, even trainers. I mean, I hate to say it, folks listening, look at any, like, you know, some of these motivational men and women fitness posts and I, I'm not being disparaging on them, but you'll see people that are super attractive and super in shape talking about how they're still not comfortable in their own skin. So yeah. everyone, even trainers are coming in the gym, trying to make something better. Right. So if I put them in a compromised position, especially if they keep feeling like they're doing bad, no matter how much I tell them, like, it doesn't matter. I feel yeah. like there's going to be a carryover uh, versus if I could just get them to see a glimmer of hope within the first 30 minutes or less. Right. So I think they're going to come back. And again, yeah. there is that line, like you mentioned, I know the FMS, I know other movement things. I know what I'm looking for. Again, just with experience too, like how many people have we taught to hinge, you know, to deadlift a kettlebell, right. a kettlebell. And, right. You know, so I can get that done. So in, cl- in my classes, I don't, I don't have a screen and we don't have a baptism type thing. My classes are so small here that, you know, I'll just modify the class for them on, on the go. And it seems right. to be working. So here's the question on that. Have you noticed, so in the number of years so, uh, that we had a screen versus in the number of years we haven't had a screen, and clearly I'm not looking for a science, folks, this isn't like a science-based answer, but like, have you seen any sort of increase or decrease in injuries or any of that no i don't think that we have it all that's the hard part my my particular challenge and and it's i i want to be able to assess injury risk and all of the evidence-based practice and all and to be frank a lot of the evidence-based practitioners that i know when they talk about evidence they're talking about like 
peer-reviewed double-blind studies that are published on PubMed, which are so fucking important. I want people to be reading those more than they're looking at like <laughs> any of the content I put out on Instagram. But at the same time, like evidence also includes having conversations with the people that you're training. And I think that sometimes we as coaches, uh, and I, I sure did when I was a younger coach, forget to just ask people like, is the workout fun? Do you feel like you're accomplishing something? Is this fulfilling? Like, do you feel like you're, you're doing something good with your time? And for me, having that evidence is probably a better indicator of how their progress is going than like redoing body fat percentage and their hurdle set. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's interesting. I've been going through, I, ha I have somebody that I've been training and when it comes to programming, it sort of goes along with that, right? In terms of like checking in where they're at, but also setting up the expectation of why we do things a certain way and mm -hmm. finding that fine line of balance between flexibility and meeting the need and actually, you know, the emotional need and the, and the physical need, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that I loved about us as a team is, you know, when people think programming, they tend to think real quick, like things change right. real quick. Whereas you and I would build towards something over months, right? So if we oh. get up, for example, two things that, that stick to mind is the use of like partial get-ups and the use of, um, fuck, when we were trying to do the rotational pivoting stuff. Remember oh how God. many different plans of attack we took on that? Yeah. So listeners, like, you know, one of the things that classes and, and, and we do this here at Fury Industries too, is it, at MFF, you're not going to be pressing overhead or doing full getups because since there isn't a screen and because it's a class environment, because you right. can't book so many people, there's no overhead. Cause that is usually the riskiest spot is when someone's pressing for personal injury or for, um, you know, a group thing other than swings. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what we did is I put in like a half open kneeling with reach in the warm up for one month. And then I think we did stand the sits for another month. And then we did um, quarter get ups for one month and then half get ups to another. And I right. think it was like a four month series as far as we were going to get, you know, get ups in place. But it taught the Ninja Army like a lot. But it was like yeah. a long haul. That's a quarter of a, a third of a year, you know, four months. Whereas I think people feel this pressure to, well, you know, you're not winning the getup or coaching it well if you're not all the way doing a full getup. Right. Yeah. Versus and what's like, the most applicable. It's so funny because I think that I don't have the best planning skills unless it's exercise science. Like, I remember, there, I feel like there was a month where you said, hey, I want to do this exercise in like three months. Can you put this exercise in, into the class cycle? And I was like, Hell yeah. And we were, were able to communicate about that. Um, I know that for the, the class cycle that we literally started on Monday, Tim wanted to put an exercise in there. Tim Landich is one of our, our new trainers. Fury, he's so smart. Like, See, he's awesome. He, he took, um, he's come to two of the courses that I've taught at Bauer. He took his HKC with yeah. in OS uh -huh. like a few weeks ago. He's, he came to us from IFAST. I, I would say this in Tim's face if, he, if he's here but I think he's one of like the smartest train young trainers I've ever met. Um, and, and Tim was like, Hey, let's do this move. And I said to him, I was like, Hey, we should do that move, but I think that it will be too new. So we won't have a foundation to, to build upon. So he said, what great. Can we do it next month? And I said, yes, we'll do it next month. And I'm writing the next class cycle. So I'm going to put in this move for Tim because he wrote, he gave me a foundation to build upon. And I know that this is, like I'm fully aware that in an exercise, it's not like we're not putting out fires. We're not pulling kittens out of trees, 
but I do think that we have the power to ensure people's success or failure based on our program design. And if I am more likely to ensure your success because I'm choosing exercises that will be easier to accomplish, like my goal is that you can move well and then move often. But I need to yeah. ensure that you can move well first, even if it's a new exercise for you. But I'll also say, I think the thing that we did awesome is that we, we would look at a movement quality over trying to drill a specific exercise. So right. one of the things, the other thing we were talking, you know, I mentioned is we had, um, what exercise was it where you would, you, was it the Simba, like the, the press out, rotation yeah. press out, right? Yeah. The Simba, right? So he, Harold had put in this thing, it's a rotational kettlebell press out. And it's just something we've noticed in other phases where like a random exercise, say in like circuit party or something would come up where, it seemed like a lot of ninja struggled at rotation, like actually pivoting on the opposite ball of the foot and having that come from the hip and not the lower back. And we would put in these drills, you know, lightweight kettlebell things. And, and we literally over months, we stripped it down to like fists of fury where we were literally just pivoting, doing tie bow just to like, cause it wasn't so much like we had to get this kettlebell press out, but it was like, we really want to teach, you know, the ability to pivot and generate power. Cause that's where most athletics will come from. Right. Whether it's, right. whether it's dancing, martial arts, uh, skateboarding, you know, like that stuff all comes sort of from the ground up of that pivot foot yeah. and working some rotational transverse plane stuff was, was cool, but we took months. And uh, one of the things that I love about Harold and I's relationship is as two programmers, when we were doing this together is it wasn't like Harold and I sat down and had long conversations and charts. Like there was something, you know, I mentioned how it was intuitive for me, to just program, yeah. but I think there was something very uniquely intuitive of you and I together of right. how we would have like an idea, like, I think we want to build off this, or I'd like to go here, or what'd you think of this? And Harold would go do his thing, and I'd be like, holy fuck, that's great. And then, you know, and it's sometimes we would tweak each other's stuff a little bit, like, because uh, that's what you need. You need checks and balances. But right. overall, it was so natural how we built and progressed off of each other. Right. That, quite frankly, man, I haven't had that before, but I haven't actually programmed with anybody else. <laughs> now I'm like <laughs> ruler of the thing. Like it's just me. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's funny. Cause when, when you would write stuff, I feel like I would write something and like, I always have an idea, right? There were moments when we would each have to write two, two uh, months in a row. And I'd be like, all right, if I was writing this again, I would do that. But then three weeks later, you'd be like, Hey, check this out. We're going to learn it. We're going to learn it next week. And I'd be like, great. Don't change anything. Like that's <laughs> awesome. And and it was nice because like you mentioned the checks and balances. I feel like a lot of our checks and balances ended up being literally like, hey, I like this. And if you use this exercise, then next month I can use this exercise. We were able to do I feel like we were more doing like foreshadowing than we yeah. ever were actually like changing or disagreeing on stuff because we were just so in sync about like respect these movements like these movement patterns, respect a certain movement quality, and then how do you create a physical demand while honoring that quality of movement? Yeah, I mean, that, that process of you and I is definitely, when I, when I think of my time at MFF, I mean, there's lots of great points, but that is something from a working capacity, like within the team, that yeah. I fucking like, I, I just love that. That's like one of my favorite things about my time there is, is, totally. is having that ability to program. It's also, I think it's just one of those things coming in uh, for me feeling kind of like the outsider, and not right. knowing how I was going to fit in to be able to like leave a mark 
working with working on classes with you because I, you know, I was a little intimidated even for a fucking yeah. old padded dude uh, by you <laughs> and, and Kyle and the crew. So to be able to have that role of actually writing classes consistently to the point where like folks like ninjas would know if it was like a Harold phase or a Fury phase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was both great and bad. They always expected me to have all the fucking crawling in. And I don't think yeah. I put that much crawling in a lot of the time. We, somebody on Monday was like, yeah, at least it's not seven minutes of crawls. <laughs> because Tim put something fucked up in Kickass. I was teaching Kickass. Like, well, at least it's not crawling, because that I think that was the most famous thing you did programming-wise. Yeah, that was, the, that was the beginning of superhero like four years ago, and everyone still remembers. Yeah, and then we had that that Hoth battle crawl game, which is probably my favorite thing that I programmed. Oh, that was so fun! We got to bring that back. Uh, yeah, please take it. And, oh my God, uh, yeah. but how have you seen? So let's take it from the class where we get to invest that time and then progress. And again, the classes at MFF run on a four week cycle. So they, they sort of like, they, they gradually progress basically weeks one through four and then a new phase starts, which builds off. And you know, there's only a certain number of new, new moves allowed. And let's take this into semi-private training. I mean, yeah. has there been any sort of big change coming in? I feel like a lot of people are trying to, on one end, they oversimplify, and on one end, they overcomplicate in general when I hear about other programming things. And even in my own, I've been trying to, you know, on my online coaching, when I left MFF, I know I used to, like, if somebody was training, like, you know, four days, I would be like, four, here's very four different workout days, all around a similar goal. Like, it all made sense. Right. And I know I've been stripping that shit way back for the last two years. Um, yeah. Simple. Like, I, I don't, you know, these are the movement qualities. This is how yeah. we're going to challenge them. And this is how we're going to sequence it versus trying to just throw shit in for the sake of variety or entertainment. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like we're still on the same page two years later. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we have a few ninjas who are only doing semi-privates and we have a few ninjas who are only doing semi-privates as their only type of exercise. Uh, but for the most part, people are doing semi-privates and classes or semi-privates and another type of exercise, whether that is spinning or running or we've got a ton of dancers, obviously. So we've got a lot of people who are like, hey, I just had a three-hour dance class. And I'm like, awesome, you're not doing a finisher. Like, yeah. your, finisher, your finisher is foam roll so your kneecaps don't fall off, um, which, to be honest, makes my life a little bit easier as a program designer because it's I'm writing simpler programs and it's basically like challenge your strength at a few different rep ranges and then make sure that your overall week is, is fairly balanced. So like usually Kyle Langworthy writes the, uh, the splits for people who are doing AB splits. I'm thinking of like two or three ninjas who are on, on three different, they've got AB and C days, but Basically, everyone else comes in and, like, you do your warm up, you do your core power section, like, hey, can I move quick and can I use my abs? You get some heavy lifting in for like some lower reps, and then you start getting some lighter reps lifting in to get like those more strength endurance sight reps in. And then, usually, when we get to the finisher, if somebody has like real, like, general health or fat loss goals, they'll do something that's like a little bit more cardio based. And then for some of our folks who are trying to put on some muscle, or like, dare I say, the T word, who are trying to tone, uh, <laughs> then, then those people will do something that's like a little bit more targeted to like a specific body part. And that's like basically it. 
I feel like as much variety as there is in the programming for the individual ninjas, the programs are all pretty similar. Yeah. And we sort of just like figure out what the conversation is based on the ninja's individual goals. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing that like, and one of the things that always uh, shines for me, it's like a proud former MFF moment. And yeah. it's definitely while I was at MFF is when someone comes in and, you know, swings a kettlebell that went to MFF, it's beautiful. It's right. almost always beautiful and cert level ready. And it's because we spent the time on those foundations and have like what we talked about, if we go back to the movement screen or lack of movement screen, have the ability to assess the movement to, pro to progress them in the right way. One of the things right. that now is, you know, what, when people try to entertain, and I don't know if it's a, an entertainment thing or they're trying to interject their worth or set up their worth by showing something more complex or just trying to like cater to a need versus right. actually stable, you know, spending the time to build the foundation. So, you know, when somebody, I'm dealing with somebody that uh, we showed a lot of like kettlebell overhead stuff yeah, way before this person's mobility really allows for, right? Right. So now I'm in the position of having to be the buzzkill. Right. And yet still try to be supportive and find an entertaining safe way to go these things. And I right. think that's something that I, I don't know if that's a lack of experience or if that's a, just being lazy when people do that or a chase of the dollar or if it's not caring. I don't think everybody's throwing all of those things at once. But I think yeah. the, the level of attention and keeping some programs very basic goes a really fucking long way. Because just like if someone comes in and tries to do their toe touch and you can get them to breathe rolling around the floor and it gets better, you have somebody invest in that, you know, two months in the Dragon's Lair working on the semi-private program, knowing that it's pretty similar to what everybody else is doing, but they know they're fucking stronger and feel better at the end of it. Totally. Versus like, you know, throwing in random fancy stuff just to sort of, you know, there is that element of proving the worth. Well, I went to a kettlebell cert, so I can do this, so I'm going to show you. Right. Um, and there's also like, I want to learn how to do that thing and just being like, okay, regardless right. of ability restrictions. Yeah. And I don't know, you talked about, you used the word entertaining before, right? Yeah. For me, I end up thinking about like, do we, not we as like you and I as coaches, I mean like, do we as, as consumers of content, are we more drawn to the exercises that look cool or the exercises that don't look cool? And like the downside for a lot of like those those exercises that we probably wouldn't program is that somebody who doesn't have our training education sees them and they're like, well, that looks cool. Like that person looks strong. And, and for me, a lot of it is like, great. I, I, I can't beat that emotional reaction, but I can create something that, that makes you feel as badass, but is also safer. Um, Cause I, I feel like actually more recently than when we were working together, I get more and more people, uh, like who were ninjas sending me like content on usually on Instagram who are like, Hey, check out this cool move. Like we should try this. And 50% of the time I'm like, hell yeah, that's going in my notes. We're using that next month. And 50% of the time I'm like, Oh God, that looks so scary. This person's about to explode their shoulder up. Uh -huh. and, I, and I, I like, and we end up having like way longer conversations because I want to make sure that like they understand why my eye doesn't like that move. But I also want them to know that I understand why their eye likes that move. It's not just no, that move is that move looks dangerous or that move looks unsafe. It's like, hey, this person is ha has this movement compensation, and I don't like the way that they're moving because it doesn't seem as sustainable, right? I don't, I I care if you feel like a badass during your workout, 
but I also care if you feel like a badass in 50 years when you're running around with your grandkids. Yeah, it's super tricky. Uh, it, it's one of those things where I think you and I too, and, and most of the team, they're like, we can also, if we, you know, what people think is fancy, you know, we can appreciate a super heavy deadlift, you know, right. like somebody on a competitive level, super heavy deadlift. Like that's amazing, but it's, it's simple. It's not easy. Right. But, it, but it's, it's in terms of a thing, it's relatively simple. And appreciating that, I think we do a good job of setting the expectation that that's like something to be commended to a certain point. Yeah. Um, I do think sometimes, and we've had these talks too about the, you know, the joy of going heavier and going heavier is like there's a, a, a part of diminishing return. And sometimes people grind themselves out prematurely, right. you know, trying to manage themselves. Um, you know, I've seen people celebrate weight loss. And, but yet more, in, you know, that they've lost pounds on their deadlift. And, and part of me is like, well, what was the point of the gym in the beginning? You know, right. it wasn't the deadlift. It was the weight loss, right? And yeah. it's great that that mindset's changed, but it also has to be one of those moments where we allow ourselves to fucking actually celebrate a victory. Right. Um, and then there's the other side where, you know, entertaining thing is a weird one where some people think they have to entertain with exercise selection. Some people, they have to feel they have to entertain by programming, you know, different things constantly. Um, for me, and what I think is a lost aspect when people view MFF as being the silly fun spot is, you know, the entertainment's in the delivery. It's not in the programming with the exception right. of silly names and the occasional silly burpee, you know, right. like it's not that like, you know, swings are what they are and I could try to be all Spartan Trojan tactical, you know, militaristic about it, or we can play a goofy punk rock cover of a Britney Spears song like we did today in class. And it's the same damn thing. I made the room a little fun. Right. But they're still doing the same fucking swing. Exactly. And I think there's this whole thing of like, again, some of it's dogma. Some of it's like, how do we approach? And it's like, you know, it all comes down to setting expectations, you know, from the moment they walk in the door, this is what we do. This is how we are. Right. And yeah. having, you know, wrapping it into the crucial conversations is being able to have that conversation with them too. When, when something's off, you know, like we have to have that conversation. Like, well, like I appreciate that you want to do a full get up or do snatches, but your shoulder is going to damage itself. It's going to get, well, it's not going yeah. to damage itself. You're going to damage it because you can't get here and being able to explain that and explain why and refer right. out. And that, yeah. you know, that's, that's a, that's a tricky thing. And I think a lot of people just jump in too quick, trying to get members or trying to get that dollar and they don't set that yeah. expectation up front. Yeah. And one of the things I don't know if I've thought about this, uh, but but it's a, it's a question that I've been trying to ask more frequently recently, just to double check that like, I'm really on the ninja's agenda is like, like giving the praise, like I'll, I'll be like, Hey, like, I love how much you care about this. But then rather than being like, I love how much you care about this, your shoulder's going to blow out. I, I really have been trying to stop myself and be like, do you feel like a badass? Because for me, if I'm thinking if like the, what is it? The Hippocratic Oath says do no harm. Right, and it's for doctors. And I first started thinking about this when I read a Mike Boyle article, God knows, like honestly, like nine years ago, um, talking about like the Hippocratic Oath for strength coaches, if it's do no harm, I understand that, that the intent for that is orthopedically. Like the intent is I want to protect all of your, like your vulnerable joints, right? I want to protect your shoulders. I want to protect your lower back. I want to make sure that these things are happy. And I really, I haven't quite figured out how to articulate it on mass. But I think you'll understand this with your time at MFF. For me, do no harm also comes back to emotional state. And I really try to walk that fine line between how do I like keep you feeling like a badass, 
and provide some context for your movement that will help clarify your movement to be more sustainable orthopedically. And sometimes if, if, if I'm like, hey, do you feel like a badass? And somebody's like, yes, I'm crushing this. I'm like, great. Then what I'm about to say to you might actually make this feel not as fun and like at least get ahead of it. So I'm not like, doesn't that feel better? Here's the cue. And they're like, no, I hate this now, go away. <laughs> so I, I, Cause I really want it to be more of a conversation than just a demand. Yeah, I think that's an important thing, but it, it's also just talking it through. I think sometimes, yeah. you, you know, there was a, you know, there was an example a few years ago where someone was chasing a very heavy get up. Remember we had, we had a group conversation about this and it, had set themselves up a very limited time frame to do it. And it was kind of like, you know, uh, in, for someone experienced an overly ambitious goal within a very short right. window of time. Right. And it built up amongst the team, uh, like a lot of, like a lot of conversation and a lot of stress and worry about how this was going to go over. But once the conversation was had pretty much like, Hey, it's awesome. And you're nailing these getups, but you know, realistically speaking, right. You know, why is that the goal? Right. Because normally that is something that would take X amount of time. We want to make sure you nail this safely. And it like was the smoothest conversation from at least what we heard from it. So yeah. I think there's that weird thing sometimes too, where we're afraid to step on toes or hurt feelings by yeah. how you present the question. Right. Right. How do you meet it? Is there a need to safety? When I, when I was back in production and in, 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 in advertising, but on the post side in particular, one of the things that one of my mentors um, Amy Taylor told me, it was like, find out how you can, you know, sort of turn the problem on to how can you help them? So right. they have something they have, you know, say it's a commercial, there's something that's commercial that is totally fucked. It's not inside the budget or that we bid out to do the work. It's going to be extra money. And, you know, it's just this idea of like, you know, Hey, so this thing, we know it was unexpected. We have these two options to treat it. It's like, this one's going to be this much money in time. This one's going to be this much money in time. How can I help you you know, through this decision right. versus being like, Hey, we're just going to do this for free or just ignore it. Um, you know, I think it is that thing. Like, how do I keep you safe by allowing yourself to keep you safe? Does that make sense in any way? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like it's almost like when fucking life coaching with Keeler, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like when he's like, Hey, I have this really big problem. And he goes, well, what is the problem? And you, you say it and he's like, and you basically answer it yourself within three questions because he's so right. good at being genuine listening to that, that you process your own yeah. thoughts. Right. Because there's the, for me, that's a lot of it. It's like, I want to, if, if we unite, if like essentially you and I are like this, this first wave of practitioners, I know it's happening all across the fitness industry right now. We're the first wave of practitioners who are really trying to uh, anchor our exercise science understanding with our understanding of positive psychology and of self-determination theory. So I would much rather give somebody the information where it is obvious to them that they should make a certain decision, then just tell them that like they're, that this is a decision I'm making on their behalf. Um, and sometimes it's like very simple and sometimes it takes like weeks or months to sort of like talk through those particular things. Uh, one example, I've told this story in class because she's taken the class. Um, and I'm sure that she will laugh hearing the story again. Becca Schulbank Smith, you know, you remember Becca? Yeah. So this is like two years ago. She was working on her chin-ups. And I can't recall what the time frame was, but like she had taken class. She, had, she popped in the drug in there to practice a few chin-ups. And I was doing chin-ups in my workout. And she was like, it's just expressing like her frustration with like, it's hard to work on chin-ups. Like chin-ups 
are hard. It's a, a body weight exercise, but like everyone who's ever tried them knows that they take such consistent practice. And Becca was like, I've been working on this forever. I, I want to get a chin up. I'm going to make up some numbers because I can't recall the specifics. I think she was working on them for like six weeks. She's been working on them for so long. I want to be able to get a chin up in like three months. So she got six weeks to go. And she was like, I don't think that I'm going to get there. And the easy answer is like, yeah, I don't think you're going to get there either. Uh, because it's so hard to work on your chin-ups if, you, if you're unable to do one. And I was like, Becca, do you know how long I've been working on chin-ups? She was like, no. How long? I was like, 11 years. Yeah. I was like, it was, I think I started working out. If this was two years ago, I was 28. That means that I was 17 in high school. And I was like, I'm going to start doing chin-ups as like a formal form of exercise, not just like presidential physical fitness tests. I was like, I've been working on them for 11 years. It takes a really, really long time. And the look on her face was sort of like, cool, so not three months. And, and I love Becca so much. So like, I probably do less like coaching, coaching with her because she's so into taking care of her fitness. She's like, so, so after getting after it, but it's just like those little moments where in some ways I think we're like the, it's more about emotional safety than it is physical safety. And so we just figured out for her, for her programming, we were just like, great, let's make sure that you're doing chin-ups as frequently as possible in every workout that you get a chance to work on them. So it was like a circuit party once a week. It was a semi-private once a week. She was also focusing on superhero. And I feel like for any of the, the physical goals, we as movers tend to do, I think this is like a Bill Gates quote, that most people underestimate what they can do in 10 years but overestimate what they can do in a year yeah we we all get that physically right yeah i i would say that that's actually i've never heard that before but that's pretty on point i i i could actually say like i hit the wall of my my fitness career in general around september of last year in in a very similar way where i was like shit i've been doing this a long time i should have you know i thought year i thought year one year two year three this was going to be where it hit um until everything's oddly enough started to feel like it was coming together um yeah becca's awesome by the way uh every year uh, <laughs> she she dressed up as sailor moon and did the whole intro song <laughs> on video so every year in my uh-huh. Facebook memories it shows up i gotta see if yeah, i can yeah, sort of track it down it's fucking brilliant yeah. she's rad mm-hmm. but she's another example though of like you know one of the things that i think mff does great and a lot of you know five points did for me is like you elevate somebody, you know, you mentioned that, like how I try to teach somebody to have like, you know, a kettlebell instructor level swing. I think the good right. gyms do that. You know, they want to have that. Right. You, you want to train it. So when they go to like, uh, you know, the local gym where people are, you know, open gym or something, they could be like, Ooh, that doesn't look good for yeah. someone's back or that's not how that's done. Uh, right. We also teach people, which I love and snatch not to be dicks about having that kind of information, but it's uh, my favorite, it's my favorite day of snatched. Yeah, <laughs> it's the best when you're like look you now know more than most people including a lot of trainers yeah w- with that knowledge you it's literally the speech is like ends with don't be a dick about it right yeah it's so hard because it's you know it, it's a weird thing and we talked about this a little bit on the brian and michael podcast where you know we can do this great job sometimes of building people up say an mff and then they go to a regular gym and they you know shit shuts down a little bit because they're not in their zone you know what i mean it's not their comfort zone where they have to own that movement and you know it's tricky when you have those outside factors but the goal that i try to do is you know and i see it now here that i've had you know we just finished our we literally kicked off the second year of classes here 
this week. And I can see some people that the progress is just, you know, everyone's made progress, but some people I'm like, shit, like you could just buy a couple of bells and you might not need me. You know, they're coming for me and they're coming for the programming and admittedly the classes here now, um, you know, they get the sort of full theory experience because they get Indian clubs, they get the ultimate sandbag. So there's the, there's a a same, but different, you know what I mean? I just have different things. Uh, I can use the full philosophy, right? Right. Um, and again, I'm building that lesson we learn together. I build shit real slow um, and deliberately over, you know, I, I don't have a long-term plan, but I'm just like, okay, I want to build mastery of this movement and capability for this because it leads to this two months from right. now. Right. But, you know, the, the goal is that they, they can bow out, but it's like when they go to the gym and they feel weird about it, that that sucks. I, I feel like I'm always letting somebody yeah. down when they, they don't feel comfortable going to like an Equinox or a Crunch or something yeah. and just grabbing the bar, even though you know they have a sick deadlift, their form's probably as good, if not better, than some of the younger trainers, maybe right. even some of the veteran trainers. You know, it's a tricky thing. I mean, for me, that's always like my sweet spot, and it's always the spot where I truly feel the most reward, where I appreciate getting all the movement results, I appreciate being able to take care of people as they are working on their goals. And for me, the most success I ever feel on a coach as a coach is when somebody comes back to the clubhouse and they're like, Hey, I finally went to crunch and did the entire workout or I went to blank or um, I know frequently when ninjas are like, Hey, I'm traveling. I won't get to work out this week, but I'll see you next week. I'm like, Whoa, hold on. A, enjoy your vacation. B, there's probably a gym where you're going. If you plan on working out, how can I set you up for success? And like our kettlebells here aren't magical. I think that the space is magical. I think that the community is magical, but a kettlebell is a kettlebell. And for me, I want you to be able to voluntarily come back here because you love it, not feel like you're stuck only working out at one place. Well, I mean, think of the perfect example of that would be the success of Snatched. How many people go through Snatched one in particular, yeah. Snatch is the, our uh, MFF six-week sort of transformation program. And, you know, it starts out real basics where one week you're just working on deadlifts and in week two it starts building towards so, some swings, week, th- you mm-hmm. know, three. So you're not really swinging a kettlebell. I don't remember, like, really in sets maybe until week three. I could be wrong, into week two. Right. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, that, it literally takes that long. So you have people that have gone through that multiple times hundreds of classes where they're swinging kettlebells, but they'll still go back because it's created that space in the atmosphere. And you know, that, that is sort of the magic of MFF is the space and, and is the team. And it is right. one of those things, you know, if, 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 you know, bringing on the people that are new, Jen coming back, you know, uh, us all losing Landon. Um, yeah. You know, additions like Tim, you know, part of that is like whatever fucking random magic happens that pulled us together and a lot of that is obviously, you know, Mark and Mike, Michael at the gate. A lot of that's you through running the tier program now because a lot of people have come on staff from that. Yeah. You know, I think that's like the missing thing. Like, you know, Mark and I talked about it on the first episode a little bit where people would try to copy our systems and copy unicorn stuff or, or try to adopt if I don't want to sound like a dick by saying copy. But yeah. um, the thing they couldn't do is like find a Brian Patrick Murphy or find a you or find a Stacey Jackson or a Steph or a Liz, you know, any of the – or Laura, like, you know, finding the people that round that out in the way that the team works is fucking crazy. Like, I yeah. can't, you know, I don't really see it that way. Like, I see people that get along really well, but the fact, the way that, like, 
A, you can have all these different personalities supporting each other, yet still having conflict with each other, but in a way that we can actually communicate it, it's fucking nuts. I don't know how yeah. that happens. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, one of the things that is really missing in our industry is community, not only for uh, the people that we train, right? I'm not, I'm, I mean, MFF has a great community of, our, of our, the ninjas with each other and with the trainers, but I feel like because we're sort of all like freelancers, right? Most of the fitness industry, you're like a freelancer working under somebody or you're uh, an entrepreneur, like trying to build your own thing. So there is like, it seems like there's just a lot, a lot of room for improvement for us to like you. I mean, you are literally doing it with part of your job. I'm literally doing it with part of my job, but just to create more mentorship for those younger coaches so they can sort of like become born into a community that truly cares about their success. Yeah, I'll say, you know, one of the great things that Strength Faction provides is sort of that, and it's what I found through it and I'll get to be a part of, is, you know, for newer trainers, it's, it's, it's very stressful, especially depending on what gym you're starting in, you know, what kind of sales expectations, what kind of education expectations, time, all that stuff that get thrown upon you. And yeah. trying to filter out through all of the workshops, all the certifications, how do you program, how do you safely navigate movement, or specific exercises, even if you are just trying to think like, how do I get somebody to deadlift and squat safely? And then there's on the veteran side, and I know I fell into this where, you know, like I felt like I was having like, you know, I was hitting this fucking wall six years in where on some levels, I had so surpassed, like if this career ended for me tomorrow, like I have so surpassed anything I thought I would ever do. To get to be a part of MFF, which I didn't even know was a fucking thing I'd, I'd you know, would change my life or even knew existed at the start to get to travel and teach and meet all of you and meet all the people that I've gotten to meet on this, like already super successful. But I still found myself like fucking floundering, feeling kind of lost with all these great things. And I think a lot of us, especially like people that own the gyms, yeah, we run ourselves into the ground and, and, and we, cause we don't have that community. Our community is serving some, too many others instead of serving ourselves sometimes and trying right. to reinvest in that. And that's really tricky. And that's one of those moments I would say, especially at MFF, where I don't know if people appreciate, I say drain, but I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but the drain of trying, uh, of trying to maintain a, a true level of being that supportive of others. Right. The army. You know, I don't think people realize what that, what that toll can be. And so it's like you have new trainers and veteran trainers that are all trying to survive for a way for a way but don't know really know how to communicate it because not everybody has even in services like mff or uh right esp nova they're just literally like they might have like a staff meeting but they're not necessarily actually you know they might be being, getting told stuff but they don't have a forum they don't have a proper education line you know or a support line within the, where they're working yeah yeah it's i mean uh we've we've had only a few trainers come to us having worked in, in commercial spaces. And I, it seems to me that like as incredible as some of the corporate fitness environments are, because I'm like, you're really thinking I've, I've only ever heard good things about, uh, I'm specifically thinking about Equinox. I've only ever heard good things about working at Equinox. I know that I've, I've sort of been a fan of what they're doing since Geraldine Cooper Smith was there seven years, six years ago. Right. She was like their like their uh, fitness education person, and 
in that environment where you're still competing for 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 food, right? I'm now thinking about like Katie's in Kenya. I'm like the lions of the savannah are all competing <laughs> for food. Yeah. If you've, got a, if you've got a pride, if you've got a pack, then it's just so much safer emotionally, and I think that lets you really thrive. Um, and outside of like certain things like like strength faction or any of like the other mentorship programs that are out there, there's not that much of like a really supportive pack environment for for trainers. And I'm so I'm so genuinely excited that we've got that for the ninjas because like we there I mean there are so many ninjas who have gotten into fitness because they've realized that it's not as bad as I think we sort of learn about in like high school for that right so yeah and also just mff found a way without it being marketing to hit the people that don't want the extreme level of fitness you know what i mean like this like this concept of extreme fitness you know fitness is usually like blood sweat and tears no pain no gain you know most people think of it that shit they think of like the work and not the result it's easy to say like i can't work that hard or i can't do that movement even though i want the result we just found another way to deliver the result Right. You know? Um, yeah, man. It's like, it's, it's been, uh, it, it's the class here. Friday's here at 1230. I, I'm training now, uh, like a good majority of the staff of an all woman studio, Uplift Studios in uh, Chelsea. Uh-huh. And they've all, thanks to my friend, Caitlin, they've all started uh, coming in and taking classes or doing one-on-ones or online training. That's great. And what I see part of that too is, it's like, you know, they have each other to support in the staff, but this is also becoming that place where collectively, whatever I can add to the table in that mix to help them out is, is happening. But also I think sometimes even, you know, when it's MFF, I think we have to step out and be able to not be just in our own house. You know, I know you and I, when we talk about, you know, in services versus continuing education outside, we've always been game to go take stuff outside. You know, like I know you make your perform, you know, your annual perform better pilgrimage. Yeah. There usually like every other year. Um, but I like to travel and take courses and, and meet people even before I was the one teaching them. And I think that's another thing that just adds perspective, you know? So if you don't have a strength faction where you have this collective, just meeting other coaches and, and taking that moment to meet up at lunch or during a break or after the course and, and, and realize like most of our struggles are pretty similar, like in terms of like overwork or pay, um, hours, stress, whatever. Right. Like we all suffer from a lot of the similar things. It's just how we, uh, I guess, get through it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is I used the phrase uh, fitness industrial complex before, but uh, I, I'm coming back to this because you were, you were talking about uh, entertainment before, like entertainment in, in program design. And I'm thinking about this because I think it loops into what you were just saying is recently I've been trying to think through the idea, like philosophically for my, for my personal practice, like, because if I got some more time at MFF and I truly am figuring out what can I do to improve the world, like I'm definitely going to ride my mountain bike a lot. I'm going to try to play some more drums and I want to affect people who can't be in New York city training here or like with me or with you in Brooklyn. Right. So I've been recently thinking about like getting back to the idea of being a strength coach because I'll call myself a coach no matter what. I think like the way that I interact with people is a coaching. It's not good coaching. It's more than personal training. And if you're a group fitness instructor, so much of that is about the entertainment and the quality of the environment that you create. There's so much in there 
that myself, I think the, the functional training industry has a lot to learn about. And there's probably a point in time where there's too much fitness. And I understand that fitness has this role in being entertaining for a lot of people. But before you, you mentioned like doing exercises that are entertaining, I'm like, you know what's entertaining? Going out and playing soccer going out and playing basketball, like for you going to skateboard, yeah. for me, just going to like jump my bike and not ride for cardio, like just go play your game. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out exactly like what's the world look like if I look for a community where we can be serious about our fitness and that fitness gives us the freedom to do something else as well. I think that does get lost. I think the goal isn't to just crush it and get awesome at the gym. It's to get awesome at life outside the gym. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, a, I, I've, I've seen that a lot. And I'm, I would fall into that category. I know, like, I stopped skating for a bit, big chunks of time because I was, like, focused on, like, powerlifting and I didn't want my fucking legs to get jacked so I can hit, you know, my whatever exact percentage of whatever lift I was trying to build towards. Or I would just get tired, you know, training a little maybe too hard. I know, you know, that was a big thing for me where I definitely think in, in hindsight I was overtraining a little bit. And yeah. now I'm just trying to find that, like, What's the, I'm, I'm for myself, what's the minimum dose I need to get good at some skills and develop some appearance things that I'm, you know, aesthetics that I'm look, I'm working for, for myself. Um, right. if I train four days a week, you know, and right. I think so many people think it has to be so fucking much and it just doesn't need to be a ton. Right. People get lost on that. And I, and, and I think that also scares some people away. We're like, who the fuck? Like, if you're just like, you know, I'm feeling a little out of shape, you know, I'm starting to feel my age. And you have this idea that you have to work out like an hour and a half of super intense stuff versus like 30 to 45 minutes of intensity, you know, right. with rest. And by intensity, I don't mean like no rest or anything, you know, just like educated, smart, running your own race intensity. Right. It's a little bit of a lost art. I don't think people have to work as hard as they think they do if they go frequently. No, I, I'm fully with you there. I, it's funny. I heard, uh, I've been listening to this podcast. Um, it's, what is it called? It's like the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast from a company that makes software for indoor trainers. So it's like, you're not taking a spin class, but you want to do something that is like metered and scientific. And I don't have a, a trainer. I don't have a power meter. Most of the input, uh, most of the application of the information is over my head. Uh, and to be fair, like beyond what I'm interested in. But the way that the staff at this company trainer wrote answers questions is so well thought out that I literally listen to it to work on my communication skills uh, and it, it helps that they're talking about bikes I like bikes and like one of the guys was talking about how frequency can really fuck you when you're when you're slapping it on willy-nilly mm -hmm. and so he it, like it's just it doesn't work in MSF it just works for, for a lot of people instead of going from three workouts a week to four work, workouts a week let's say it's an hour so you're essentially adding like this fourth hour to your three hour a week first spend like two weeks going from 60 minute workouts to like 70 minute workouts. Mm. And then maybe the week after that, you go to like three 80 minute workouts. So you're accumulating volume and then changing the frequency with the volume being more consistent. And it's like little tricks and tips like that, that I start to see where I'm like, okay, cool. This is not just about working harder. This is about working smarter. Yeah. And I'd venture for a lot of people the like crazy long weekend workout to make out to make up for not doing it during the week. But time is better spent just working out consistently at a moderate intensity. And well, for, sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Finish it up. 
and, but just like working out consistently at a moderate intensity rather than just absolutely like slaying your body for one or two workouts a week and then expecting that to be the same. Yeah. I, I saw Marty Gallagher speak, um, folks like Google the name Marty Gallagher. He was, he's, yeah. he's some of the greatest power lifters of all time. I saw him speak at a dragon door health and Com- health and strength conference. And, and he was saying how he does work with the military and you know, a lot of the times they actually only have maybe two hours of additional strength training they can do in an entire week because they already right. have all these other educational things, all these other drills and skills set up. So what he does is he creates a program basically where it's like one to two hours. And if they can do it straight, they do it straight. And if they got to do it in 15 minute blocks over the course of the week, they do it in 15 minute blocks over the course of the week. Now, mind you, these right. people are also marching and rocking and doing all that type of shit. So they're getting other types of fitness in, but it's that idea versus it just has to gun it, gun it, gun it. A friend of mine right. signed up for classes here and wanted to take every class I offer. So he wanted to come twice a twice a day, five days a week. I'm like, well, I don't do two days. And he scheduled with a personal trainer to do some of these days would be two days. And it took him two times of training it to realize what I was getting at in the, in the first point, you know, in terms of overdoing it, even with the best of intentions. And I know like right. a lot of that comes too from like former athletes where they're used to doing that. Um, and they don't necessarily take into consideration how they've aged, but they also don't take into consideration the damage that those two days have done to their body when they were young. You know, a lot of athletes are pretty fucked up and banged up um, by the time they hit their forties. And some of that's like actually the sport and some of that's potentially the training might've aggravated it in the process. Right. Um, Holy shit, dude. We're about an hour and a half in here, Harold. So we're going to switch. Yeah, I know, dude. We're going to start to wrap this up because I'm actually, uh, I got to walk the dog and then Kim and I are actually uh, heading out to meet up with Matt and Steph. So, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, man. It's going to be an MFF kind of day. And uh, so we have an important thing. We both have a mutual love for Lord of the Rings. If yeah. you could be anybody in the fellowship, who would you want to be? So my, my name of Steward of Strength at MFF is largely inspired by Aragorn. So uh, I feel like I feel like that would be me. I just I would I'd want to be the, I'd want to be Aragorn. You want to be the king. Yeah, but it's not because of the king, but he was the reluctant king. That's why it's hard for me to say. Well, he was the Hesher when he was like, you know, Strider. He when was, he like was the, Strider. I want to be Strider. When he was Strider, he was like the Hesher. I, I, I relate to him more as, as, as the Hesher, Strider, sort of dirtbag ranger than when he was like, you know, the king. Um, right. I would like to say that I would want to be Legolas and have all the, fat, you know, rad ninja skills. But I, for some reason, I think I relate to Gimli more than all of them. I don't know why. <laughs> He's kind of become my favorite. So I, I think I would relate to to that guy. That, I mean, that, that fully makes sense. That totally makes sense. <laughs> well, hey, yeah. uh, where can people follow you and uh, check out, like, you know, the stuff that you, you have been putting out? You always, I think, have been one of the most consistent people putting out videos and stuff, uh, useful information. Yeah. Um, but I noticed more, and again, you can never tell if it's just the, the lords of the algorithm, but I've been seeing your stuff show up more. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you've been putting out more, if it's the algorithm thing, um, where can people find you? Uh, well, hopefully it's a little bit of both. I, I have been pretty consistent with, uh, at Harold underscore Gibbons on Instagram. That's sort of like my base for operations right now, because I'll be able to link out to any of the content that I put out elsewhere on the internet. Um, but 
Instagram is sort of like the king for me right now. Like I sort of use Twitter. I rarely touch my Facebook. Um, it has nothing to do with Facebook. It just, it becomes such a, a black hole that sucks you in. Yeah. Uh, so I've basically been like on Instagram and then I'll sort of share everything from there. You're also like the only person I know. Well, I shouldn't say that, but like you are like the most Twitter user of my training friends. The only time <laughs> I ever look at Twitter ever has been when you tag me on something. Cause... And I'm like, hey, do you take this out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I tweet from conferences a lot. I feel like a I lot. use Twitter a lot, a lot for continuing education, which when I'm not at a conference is largely me retweeting like Tony Gentlecore and Sean Light. <laughs> hey so at the end of every episode the, the, the guest tells the listeners to die mighty can you tell the folks to die mighty folks die mighty hey brother thank you so much for uh uh taking the time i know it's a big day when you when you check in with katie send my love <laughs> I um, love you know hugs man i'm glad we finally had to have this conversation and uh i, I love you man say hi to the crew I, for me i love you too purity this was so fun yeah, man, I really appreciate the time. And listeners, uh, you, again, just to bring it back to Landon, um, check out the, if you want to donate some money, check out the content page, uh, the, sorry, show notes page. And I'll put the links to the GoFundMes for, for, for the two victims there, Landon and, and the other guy. Um, and just love to the MFF team and the Ninja Army that might listen to this that don't normally listen to my show because Harold's on it. Um, you know, we're a family. Uh, later, everybody. Thank you, Fury. The Coach Fury podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com, that's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A, or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.